You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. I'm a performance coach, a life coach, a biohacker, a dabbler in supplements and nootropics, and I am narrowly focused on all of the different ways that I can live an optimal life, and I want to provide those same resources to you. On today's show, we're joined by Dr. Madan Kandula, who is an ear, nose, and throat doctor from Advent. And this is a pretty fascinating conversation. I know I always say that, but this one is. I'm pretty interested in what happens when we sleep and and more specifically how we breathe when we sleep. And let me nail this stat into your brain so you can think about it. For people who have breathing problems, specifically like sleep apnea, you may be actually coming nearly to death hundreds of times every single night, which means that you're not getting into deep sleep. You're not getting into phase two or three sleep. You're not getting REM sleep because you're constantly closing off your airways over and over and over. And even if you don't know you're doing it, maybe you live alone and you don't, you're not sleeping with someone that's uh, maybe <laughs> gracefully or not gracefully um, drawing your attention to it. I know that I snore sometimes, uh, and I've used a breathe right strip, a little nose strip to open up my nasal pathways, which kind of does the trick for me. But in this conversation, we talk about all of the scary things that happen when you have sleep apnea. If you have mild sleep apnea, you're not getting sufficient sleep really ever. In this podcast, we cover such topics as uh, the fact that sleep apnea is directly related to your throat. And there are a litany of ailments, dysfunctions like erectile dysfunction, high blood pressure, headaches. They can all be traced back to your airways. And if you are breathing correctly throughout the day and if you are breathing correctly throughout the night, there are massive, massive dangers of mouth breathing in children. Think about your kids. If you have kids, do they walk around with their mouths open? You better get them to shut their mouths because they need to know how to, how to breathe out of their nose. Um, this trend, this evolutionary trend that we're on of the narrow narrowing of the skull and the narrowing of the jaw and the, and the airways from people just sort of gaping with their mouths open. Um, we also talk about sleep studies. Now, if you think that you might have a problem with sleep because of the way that you're breathing at night, you can do sleep studies now from your home. Um, to give you a better idea of what's going on. So you don't have to go into a clinic and sleep with a bunch of electrodes or, you know, stuff uh, attached to you in some hospital, but you can do it at home and it will provide enough data to really give you some course of action to correct your breathing for sleep. Because as you know, just as well as I do, you can't have optimal performance if you're not having optimal sleep and you can't have optimal sleep if you're not breathing correctly let alone optimally. You need to be able to breathe pretty easily through your nose every single night. So um, really interesting conversation, pretty niche, which is cool because I'm fascinated with this. And because some folks in my family are dealing with sleep apnea and sleep with a CPAP machine, 
you know, it may be time to take a look at your sleep to figure out whether or not you're getting the, the sleep that you need to be your absolute best. If this isn't a problem for you, good job. If it if it's a problem for someone in your family, please share this episode with them because uh, Dr. Candula takes a very gentle approach to talk about the dangers of not sleeping effectively during the night. And we all know someone who is a terrible snore or, or worse has, you know, these sort of near death experiences because they're basically like not breathing up to hundreds of times every night. So please share this episode with someone if you know that their breathing is if, is insufficient because you really can't exercise, you can't think clearly, you can't be your best if you're not getting sleep at night. I wanted to say thank you. Uh, I am so appreciative for all the feedback that I've been getting lately and people sending me direct messages on LinkedIn and Instagram, finding me. Uh, I want to be able to connect with you if you're interested in some of the work that I do in my life coaching and performance coaching, whether it's your profession or your relationships. I want to help you be your absolute best. And the people that I work with get results fast. If you're curious about working with me, please go to my website, which is seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N mccormick.com, or find me on Instagram at realseanmccormick, or also, and to go to Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram and follow us, check us out, and uh, hit me up. I'd love to connect with you guys. Anybody who listens to this, the same way that I listen to, to so many episodes and love connecting with the podcast hosts of other of other podcasts that I really love, I'd love to hear from you too. I hope you guys are going to have an awesome week and thank you again for tuning in and listening to this amazing podcast. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Madan Kandula. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Dr. Madan Kandula, who is uh, the founder of Advent, and he's an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Dr. Kandula, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to kick off this conversation because in my family, sleeping, sleep apnea, troubles with breathing kind of run genetically. And I don't even know if genetic breathing issues during sleep is a thing. So right, um, right. I've got lots of questions, but before we sure. get into specifics, uh, I'd love to hear why you chose to be an ear, nose and throat doctor. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, um, I come from a family of physicians. So I, my, my, uh, I've got my parents, both my parents were physicians. I've got two older sisters who are physicians. So that, that, that sort of led me generally in the direction of going into medicine. And then ENT specifically, I really didn't get introduced into the field or to the field until I was in med school. And uh, the nice thing with ENT is that uh, it's kind of got the balance between practicing medicine and practicing surgery and the, the surgeries and, and uh, techniques that we get to utilize are, are great. So as a med student, I, you know, saw what an ENT did and, and I thought it was wonderful. And the other part of that is the, the mentors I had in med school 
out of all the different specialties, out of all the different doctors you get to be exposed to, those were the kind of doctors I wanted to be like. Those were the sort of the gentlemen, the, um, you know, slick as can be technically, but <laughs> also just nice people. And uh, it's, in medicine, I don't know how much you guys, how much you know about, you know, sort of different medical specialties. There are stereotypes and those stereotypes are true, uh, meaning that your, your, your family doc is generally going to have a little bit of a pers- different personality than your urologist or your ENT. And ENTs are, that's my, that's my club, basically. Those are my people. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with tangents. I hope you are yeah. too. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, is it because if you're a proctologist, uh, you're going to have a certain... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, what what is it about an ear, nose, and throat doc that, uh, that makes it uh, classy and gentlemanly? Um, I think it's the... Um... It's hard to know. It's like the chicken and the egg. Is it the subject matter? Is it the people? I mean, my sense is it's the subject matter that attracts certain personality types. Um, Like, for instance, in in medicine, a neurosurgeon tends to be kind of a a driven, um, you know, there's just these stereotypes that are like, well, you know, you kind of have to be that to some extent if you're going to be doing those sorts of things. ENT, generally, we're not typically dealing with so much life and death kind of stuff. It's it's really more quality of life issues. And so... Got it. It's hard to know, though. I mean, I don't think I've never really, really sat and pondered like, well, you know, what is it about it? But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you you kind of find, you know, the, the typical stereotype with an ENT is kind of a, a geeky, you know, sort of nice guy. Um, yeah, kind of a thing. And that's well, I'm, I'm a pretty big geek, so I, I fit well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I've never I, it makes sense, but I had never I'd never really thought about that before. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk about some of the things that you do because I've, you know, spent some time reading up and watching videos and, and the, the world of ear, nose and throat breathing, um, you know, procedures to improve breath. Um, Mm -hmm. what in any sort of typical day, what sort of people with what sort of problems are you seeing day in and day out? Yep. Yeah. I mean, our practice, so I'm an ear, nose and throat specialist, but our practice advent is really focused on the nose and throat part of that. So we call it the breathing triangle. So you've got two, you know, the the two passageways through your nose and the one passageway through your mouth. Those, that's it. That's, that's what your body has to breathe. And those are obviously uh, in, in the nose and throat area. And so that's in our domain. So most of the patients we see in our practice are are patients who've got um, issues with snoring, sleep apnea. So those are throat issues. Let me start, let me sort of stop there first is that if you have sleep apnea, that's coming from your throat, period, 100% of the time. And so a lot of folks don't know that. So that's an ear, ear, nose, and throat issue. But then a lot of folks that we deal with also have nasal blockage, allergies, sinus infections, you know, chronic headache issues, those sorts of things. So all those things kind of are in a pretty uh, tight territory there. So if you think about your nose and your throat and, you know, where that's happening, that's your lifeline. If those areas are working properly, uh, you know, life is possible. If those areas are not working properly, like literally, if you shut those three areas down and you're dead. And so, you know, we don't really typically dwell on the negative, but a lot of folks, again, you mentioned sleep apnea before. If anybody has sleep apnea, they're sort of, if they're not getting treated properly, they're sort of dying 
many deaths uh, when they're sleeping at night. So they're trying to breathe and their throat is shutting down multiple times every single night, which obviously isn't isn't real helpful. And so, um, yeah, those are that's our wheelhouse. And and uh, we we'd really try to bring it as far as providing solutions for folks who have issues in those areas. Let's talk about sleep apnea, because I, I believe that it's fairly common and yeah. and snoring is a bane on so many uh, wives and girlfriends mm-hmm. of this planet yeah. and, and, and husbands too and hus- uh, yeah. yeah it goes both ways i'm yeah. sure i'm sure <laughs> uh but let's let's talk a little bit about sleep sleep apnea can you just dis- yeah. can you define it for us and sure. can you also tell us about what sort of variables contribute to someone experiencing little mini deaths throughout mm-hmm. the night. That's so scary the way that you describe yeah, it. It is scary. It's it's both scary and annoying. You know, that's kind of this this weird dance that we do if somebody has these sleep issues. So uh basically sleep apnea, what that is, is uh there's two types of sleep apnea. I don't want to get too confusing, but I want to be clear. There's central sleep apnea, which is not very common at all. So if somebody has sleep apnea, it's very unlikely they have central sleep apnea. To so to sleep apnea, all that means is that your body is not breathing. It's stopping breathing when you're sleeping at night. And if somebody has central sleep apnea, their brain doesn't tell the lungs to breathe and therefore the lungs don't try to breathe. That doesn't happen often. Obstructive sleep apnea, that's 99.99% of folks who have sleep apnea have obstructive sleep apnea. That's a throat issue. So if somebody has obstructive sleep apnea, the brain is telling the lungs to breathe. The lungs are trying to breathe and the throat is shutting down. So the back of the throat is shutting down when somebody's trying to breathe. And so if somebody has snoring, um, the area doesn't shut down completely, but it's it's narrowing and vibrating. So the annoying sound that you're making when you snore is in the back of your throat. It's air that's passing through tight passageways and it's vibrating those trying to get through. And then if somebody has sleep apnea, all of a sudden, it goes from snoring to stop because uh, that area completely shuts. They're trying to breathe, and they can't do that. And what ends up happening is their body, we call it a microarousal, which is mean, meaning their, their brain wakes up a little bit to remind them to breathe, and then they try to go back to sleep again. So if somebody has sleep apnea, they're never getting into the deep stages of sleep that are crucial, that you've ha- you have to have to, to live a proper life. Do you do you really mean that when you say that they're not getting into the deep sleep? I mean, are they not reaching phase two, phase three, or REM? Are they just like, yeah, yeah? Wow. It depends on the severity. You know, for instance, so if somebody has sleep apnea, we quantify that as far as well. What's the severity? And the severity, uh, on one hand, can be the frequency of how many times is somebody stopping breathing at night. You shouldn't be doing it at all. We we average it over the course of an hour or so, and, or an hour period. But basically, there are folks who have you know a few episodes on average every hour over the course of the night. There are folks who have over 100 episodes every single hour uh, during the course of the night. So if somebody's 100 or over, they're obviously in the severe category. Those folks, as long as that's been going on to them, They've never had a proper, you know, night's sleep. And so if you can imagine, this is where, and this is where my passion comes from is we see these people day in, day out, you know, every hour during the day, you're seeing somebody who doesn't know how impacted their life is until we identify, explain, treat and resolve. Uh, And then that's where, you know, for those folks who are never getting in those deep stages of sleep, which is a lot of folks uh, out there, once we can get you there, once we get somebody there, it's, um, it, it, it is, it's, you know, both rewarding and uh, on one hand, but it's sad because you kind of hear and see, and they understand sort of the, the, the life that's in the wake behind them that, 
could have been. You know what I mean? Like if every day yeah. you're walking through life zombified, that's not the life you want. And if you don't know that 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 you're doing that, and a lot of folks don't know, um, they don't they don't know how bad they've got it until we can get it get it out of their way. I do want to talk about the diagnosis um, treatment protocols later, but I I yep. want to I want to dig in even deeper if we can. Um, that must be a scary moment for someone to realize that they're never getting like every single night they're not getting effective sleep that's actually restorative and converting long term memory to short or short term memory to long term memory. What are what are some of the symptoms that contribute to to specifically sleep apnea? Um, you know the the main the 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 most common symptom or the the, the issue that m- most folks would notice almost most almost everybody has sleep apnea snores. Not everybody who snores has sleep apnea. So snoring is sort of a, a cry, a literal cry from somebody's body that something's not right. And th- there are many people, though, that that's just the way it's always been for them. And so they don't know any different. And so a lot of times, many of our patients are, are sort of uh, elbowed in to come to see us because their spouse or their you know bed partner is, is frightened. They're sleeping next to somebody who's snoring and all of a sudden they, they, that person all of a sudden stops breathing. It's not necessarily that obvious all the time. And so I, I, I would say many patients who have sleep apnea are the last person to know um, that, they, that they truly have a problem. And they'll tend to want to dismiss it because they, again, for, you would think, you know, one would think if somebody's having, you know, this horrible sleep every single night, that they would be feeling horrible during the day. And in fact, they are, but yet they don't necessarily know that because that's just every night. That's every day. Every day has been that way. And so we find folks who have severe sleep apnea that, that will swear that they don't feel tired. And only once we treat that sleep apnea properly, do they say, yeah, geez, yes, you're, you know, um, I was really, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, how bad I, it, that it was for me. So, but it can run the gamut. So, it, you know, really, you know, the, the issues, there's peripheral issues that are related to sleep apnea that, that really are, um, impactful in many, many, many ways. So uh, almost assuredly, if somebody has untreated sleep apnea, they're going to have high blood pressure, almost a guarantee. So if somebody has, um, if somebody has sleep apnea, that's not treated properly, you're at a much higher risk of heart attacks and strokes than, uh, the other remainder of the population, uh, diabetes, uh, depression, uh, erectile dysfunction. You, you kind of go down the list of all the things you don't want to be messing around with. (laughs) And, uh, a lot of times you can, you can literally, kind of connect the dots back to somebody's airway, which is really what the area we're, we're dealing with. So somebody's airway, meaning if somebody's uh, has sleep apnea, their airway is compromised. And that certainly, it leaves a ripple effect. And then even, and I, I'm, I'm kind of stealing the, the mic here because I'm going on, but I'd say th- there's another conundrum that we get into is that the typical word on the sleep on the street is that if you have sleep apnea, you have that because you're too heavy, um, which may be true. But the flip side of that is, I think the more I see, the more I've been doing this for a long time. But the more patients that I see, the more I start to wonder um, if some of this obesity epidemic is is actually more of an airway epidemic, meaning that if your airway is compromised, therefore you're not sleeping properly at night, you know, therefore what do you do when you don't get a good night's sleep? What do I do? I don't exercise and I eat crap. And so if you're eating crap and don't exercise, well, what's going to happen? You're going to gain weight. You gain weight, it's going to make your airway more narrow, which is, you know, it's this, this cycle. And I, I'd say, yeah, I mean, you know, is the weight 
a cause for sleep apnea? Is it a result of that narrowed airway? And, and my conclusion is it's both. It's both of those things. Does it also include skeletal structure and genetic factors, just the way that you're put together? Yeah, of, absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just like, I mean, so again, if you kind of want to visualize this is if, if somebody's got sleep apnea, their throat is narrow. Um, and just like most people tend to look on the outside of their face, uh, like, you know, a combination of their parents or, you know, the, some of their ancestry comes through externally. Um, genetically, it can be passed down that tendency for a narrow throat. And so, yeah, if, if, if we're seeing somebody who uh, says, boy, yeah, my dad, my brothers, uh, they all have sleep apnea. Apnea, then the likelihood that you're going to have sleep apnea, it's not hundred percent, but it's, it's pretty darn high. And, and so it's not a guarantee, but, um, but it, 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 it correlates very, very strongly, um, that way, which is, um, I'd say underrecognized, um, probably, but it's starting to be recognized more because even the, the concept of sleep apnea was really first introduced as a concept that we could under, you know, sort of, uh, understand and, and do something about in the eighties. So it's been around for forever, but we, in medicine, you know, understood it to be an entity in the eighties, which isn't that long ago. And, um, therefore we are doing some catching up as far as identifying the, all the folks out there who have it. And then, um, you know, so kind of creating awareness. And then once you have awareness, then it, it becomes, you know, a situation where, yeah, you can identify the fact that, yeah, my dad, my brother, you know, all that sort of stuff is, is true. I don't remember the, the doctor's name, um, or the study, um, uh, the book, but I'm familiar with the term mewing M E W I N G. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. right. Which is like, um, pressing your tongue up, Yes. Uh, against your soft palate, which opens uh, literally opens up your soft palate and and moves uh, makes space for your jaw to open up. Uh, and I've heard that this that 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 um, the last few generations have had narrower heads, and maybe it's yep. from binky using you know sucking on a sucking on a binky or mm -hmm. sucking your thumb, and what it does is it narrows your jaw. And yes. makes it pointy and 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 so by mewing, uh, which is which is literally just like pushing the tongue up against your soft palate to open that up for twenty seconds, three 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 sets of twenty seconds, a couple of times a day. I've been I've been doing that a lot, and I've been thinking about it and, and reading here and there. Can that have a positive effect? Um, and is that something that you're knowledgeable of, um, of this practice of, of just creating more space in the, in the, in the mouth and in the, in the soft palate? Yeah. And it's actually the hard palate, but, but yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> absolutely. You're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're right there. I mean, that, so really, um, conceptually, um, there, and this is, there's, there's what we call the ideal or normal, um, oral posture, which is what you're describing. So what should happen if you're just sitting around is you should be, you, your mouth should, if you're sitting around at rest, your mouth should never be open unless you're eating, drinking, or talking. If you're doing none of those things, your mouth should be shut. And in what, what's normal oral posture is your, your mouth is shut. Therefore, your lips are touching. Your teeth are gently touching. Um, the upper and lower uh, teeth are touching each other. Your tongue is sitting at the roof of, it, of your mouth always, um, and you're breathing through your nose. That's what it should be. 
Now, yeah, there's absolutely, and this is um, definitely the dental community is light years ahead of the medical community on this, is that they've identified and they see these changes. And so what the deal is, is when your tongue is at the roof of your mouth, um, it's a natural splint. It's naturally sort of... uh, uh, sort of pushing the the jaws out la- like to the sides and forward just by the, being in that position and that open that ex- that that can only help your airway now the challenge is, is if you if you're an adult much of the damage has already been done and so if you see a child who's mouth breathing they're a ticking time bomb. A child who's mouth breathing is going to be an adult who has sleep apnea. And uh, that child needs to be, uh, they need attention. And unfortunately, the medical community doesn't understand that. And so a lot of times those issues are dismissed. And uh, it's just, and, and that's part of the cross eye and bearing is trying to make sure there's awareness out there to, that, that people understand this is not okay. It's not okay. And so, yeah, now as far as the cause of that, it's not, that's not genetics, meaning that, that, that narrow airway, narrow face, um, look that, that we're evolving into. It's not, that's not, that's not ideal. And that's not, um, sort of how we were designed. So for instance, um, I'd say most folks nowadays in Western cultures do not have their wisdom teeth. Uh, but, you know, you go a couple generations back and everybody had their wisdom teeth. They're, you know, our great grandparents had their wisdom teeth. If you think about, well, why is that? Well, their, their jaws were bigger. They're literally, there's a, there's, there's a few books out there nowadays that really do a good, good job of explaining it. There's one that's called Jaws. That's the name of the book that, that really goes through the anthropology and looking at this and understanding that, uh, that our, jaws are not they're not we're not evolved we're not you know we have a genetic program when we're all born but that's not getting carried out because we're not um we're not our mouths are not in the proper position now i my my sort of next logical step on that theory is it could be the pacifiers i think it's more likely nasal blockage and so some of this is allergy issues so if there's a variety of reasons that um humans are not breathing well through their nose, um, starting at an early age and continuing on. And that's a problem. And so part of what we do is we fix noses to get that, that airway off on the right foot. What is, what is the reason for, for kids being mouth breathers? Do you think it's allergies? And, and- um, I think it's part of it. It's, it's part, part of it is, um, it's, it's to me, it's the first domino that falls. The first domino that falls is is nas is the nose isn't working because you know for instance when you're born an infant is an we call it an obligate nasal breather meaning they have to breathe through their nose they can't breathe through their mouth just because of, of kind of how their how the the structures are configured in the back of the throat so they have to breathe through their nose if if you have a newborn baby that can't breathe breathe through its nose it doesn't live it dies and so though you know shortly you know once you're even a few months old uh, you could tolerate mouth breathing at that point. Uh, um, but your body never, n- nobody's body ever chooses to mouth breathe if it has a true choice, meaning that th- there shouldn't be a choice. That, that if, if your nose is working properly, uh, your mouth should be shut. You should be breathing through your nose. The only reason your mouth is going to drop open, the only sort of acceptable reason for your mouth to drop open other than eating, you know, drinking and, and um, eating, drinking and talking is if you're exercising and pushing yourself, you know, to the limit. Yeah. Okay. If you're sprinting, 
fine. You, you could do some mouth breathing there. If you're a long distance runner and you want to be optimized and optimal, you got, you're actually, you're breathing through your nose. There's a reason you have a nose. There's a reason that your body, you know, prefers to, to breathe that way. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, a mouth breathing child is a child that's screaming at you that something's wrong here and, and that something is their nose. And it could be, again, it's, it's likely, um, maybe starts with, with some irritation or allergy issues in the lining of the nose, which causes narrowness. And then that, that those dominoes just kind of keep tipping. That's really fascinating. I, I think a lot of people who are listening to this right now are going, Oh my goodness. That yeah. is, that's alarming. To th- it is. It is. It is. And I think that the sad part is if you go now, the, the challenge is, is I'd say if you, 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 you heard sort of what I just said and you say, Oh, I'm going to take my, my, my kid, I see him mouth breathing. I'm going to take him into my talk and, and, and they're going to get to the bottom of this. Unfortunately, that's medicine hasn't caught up with that. And, and, uh, meaning that most doctors sort of will dismiss that. It's not a big deal. You know, this is what they'll say. It's not a big deal. They're going to grow up. They're going to grow out of it. Not a big deal. The problem is, is if you let somebody mouth breathe, even if it's just at night, when, you know, if a child is mouth breathing just at night, that's still going to create a ripple effect uh, throughout their life. And then the problem is, is by the time they're, they're grown, it's too late. By the time they're grown, they've now been left with, with an, an airway that's compromised and short of massive, reconstructive surgery, you, you're not going and in, in, you're, you're not going to fix that at that point. Now you're stuck with sort of suboptimal, in my opinion, uh, treatments to, to mitigate the situation. Um, and it, yeah, and it's just, it's just sad. I mean, to me, it's sad and it's sad that we allow it to, to happen. And, uh, part of my reason for wanting to be on podcasts like this is just making sure people, you know, don't, don't, do not let it happen. Don't let it happen to you. I mean, you know, if you're a parent, uh, especially, when I'd say every, you know, every parent, most every parent wants the best for their children. And, you know, obviously the best for your child, uh, is not, um, you know, if their airway is compromised, that's, that's not the best, that's not the best thing for them, both from a health standpoint. And I mean, I, you could go either way. You can go health wise, which is, is, is dire, unfortunately with the mouth breathing issue. Then you can go to, go to aesthetics and aesthetics are, you know, I've got three children of my own and I want them to be healthy and I want them to be, you know, vibrant and attractive and all those sorts of things. If you've got a kid who's mouth breathing, they're going to turn into adult and turn into an adult who does not look attractive because part of attraction attractiveness is sort of your external body signaling of health. And if you've been mouth breathing your whole life, your body is signaling sickness. And so if you want a perfect example of this, if you look at a picture of Napoleon dynamite in in that movie, that is the classic mouth breather look. (laughs) And if you want your kid to look like that, fine, you know, and, and, and unfortunately there are, there are adults who look like that and they don't have, they didn't have a choice in the matter. And so I don't blame them, but I, I, I blame sort of the broken medical system that allows that to be, I don't want my kids looking like that. And I, I and, and it's not just the looks though. I say, I don't want my children breathing like that. Uh, and I don't want them to be adults who are compromised and living compromised lives. It's just not okay. Totally. I mean, Calling somebody a mouth breather is, uh, yeah. you know. there's a reason it's an insult because <laughs> it's, it's not a compliment. Right. Well, now I think back to all of the times that my grandmother would say, Sean, close your mouth. You're catching flies. <laughs> exactly. you know, like, she knew. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she had some wisdom. She did. And yeah. I thought, and, and I was, I obviously we took, took offense to it. And I didn't understand the importance of it. And, and I don't think she did either, except for that you look like a dum-dum with your True. mouth hanging open and True. you know, flies are going to fly, <laughs> fly into your mouth. Cause you got your, 
your mouth open, which leads to bad breath. And oh man, it does. It does. Wow. I mean, something so simple mm-hmm. it has such such a such a massive impact. And, yep. and so what are some things that you do to help your kids keep their mouths closed or what do you uh, instruct parents to do? Are there tricks or, or, or things to remember a little like uh, catchphrases or something to sh- shut your mouth? Well, I mean, if they can't, here's the, the challenges is generally they're doing that because their nasal airway isn't um, adequate. Well, they're always doing it that for that. And so the, the challenges of, you know, there are exercises and things you could try to do, but if somebody's nose isn't working, um, then it's really impossible to do the right thing unless we get the, their nose working and, um, and it depends. So that's, it's sort of this, you, 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 it's, that is the chicken and the egg. You can't be a nose breather with the nose that's, that's not working. And so it depends on, and then therefore it's sort of, well, what's wrong with the nose? What, like, why isn't it working? And then it depends on, well, you know, what, what are we seeing when we look at it and those sorts of things. So, you know, I think if somebody's a persistent, if a child is a persistent mouth breather, it's, it's absolutely worth the effort, um, to get it evaluated. It may be as simple as, um, allergy medications, those sorts of things. Uh, even if it's an anatomic issue, oftentimes um, it's an anatomic issue. Uh, and specifically, there are things in the nose called turbinates, which are humidifiers of the nose. So if you've ever had a stuffy nose, you know what turbinates feel like when they're large. That's, that's, that, that's that feel. Many people walk around the world with turbinates that are sort of permanently too big. And so that's the number one cause for nasal obstruction or is, uh, or enlarged turbinates. And so if somebody has got that condition that can happen in children and adults, then that's a, there's, there are actually simple procedures like five minute procedures to reduce the size of those guys to get them out of somebody's way. Um, and so what that looks like for a child is getting the nose working by the, in a low key in as sort of low key and yet proactive manner possible. Uh, oftentimes, we're doing a lot of work with dentists these days who work with children, and there are uh, special retainers that can be used um, to to really um, expand or or work with that uh, kid's. Uh, dentition to grow their jaws as they're growing. It, it, the nice thing with a kiddo is because they're growing, you could t- take advantage of that growth curve and you apply the right forces, which you were, which with is, which is what you were talking with that mewing exercises is that that's, that's doing that, you know, intermittently, which is fine. But if, if somebody needs to catch up, then there's retainers that really just push, uh, sort of inside out, uh, for, you know, a defined time period just to, to get somebody caught back up again and then move from there. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a really nice, I mean, for, in my, it, it basically for my practice, it's sort of this crossover between ENT and medicine and dentistry. And, you know, it's not a turf battle. It's, it's, we're on the same playing field. We're playing together and that's really the optimal, um, you know, way to go about it. And, uh, we're getting great, great, results that way. And so it's a nice thing, but it's, it's really the challenge I think for your listeners potentially is trying to find the right resource, um, to, to, to get things moving, moving forward. There are resources. It's just somebody who understands the impact of these issues and somebody who's got, um, the proper options to, to move the ball forward. I, I want to be clear for our listeners on what a turbinate is. Is that like sure. when I flow, is that like when I flare my nostrils, the, those little pieces of nose that like hang down? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, some people can't see them uh, when they look in their nose, but yeah, if you can, if you, um, the dividing line in your nose is called a septum. So that's, that's the midline of your nose. If you are looking in your nose and you're not looking at the septum, but you're looking into the nostrils and you're seeing sort of pink, fleshy looking tissue, those are the turbinates. And so, um, those, the turbinates, the, their job in life is the same job as the nose, which is to basically add moisture and warm and filter the air as you breathe it through. If they sense, if your body and your turbinates are sensing that there's danger out there, like an allergy issue, then they swell up to try to block that out. Or for instance, if you get a cold, what's happening is you get your body's getting exposed to a virus and your body says that virus, we need to shut it out. So it swells the turbinates up temp temporarily. That's why when you get a cold, you get stuffy. Um, that's where that's happening. So if you, if you can take a nice, deep, clean breath through your nose, then your turbinates are doing their job you know, nicely. That's great. If you try to breathe through your nose and you have a hard time moving air, um, not 100% of the time, but I'd say near 100% of the time, the turbinates are going to be front and center as far as um, uh, structures that aren't, aren't working in your favor. They're structures that are probably too large. So interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> so fascinating because we all sleep yeah. <laughs> and we all breathe. Yeah. And yet these details of how we breathe and how we sleep, what's a turbinate is, is, yeah. is the structure of our nose and our skull making us not only less attractive, but also affecting our overall health. Like if you're not getting enough air, you're in big trouble. And, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? It, yeah. And we just, and we, and there's a number that we, we internally were like, gosh, I, I, you know, it, it, people don't understand the impact of this. But if you think about this, you're taking a breath you know, everybody's different and it depends on what you're doing. But on average, about 20,000 times every single day, your body is taking a breath and it's taking that breath through one of three areas, your nose. Well, two areas, your nose or your throat, but the two, the three, three passageways, which are the two nostrils in your throat. So if those areas are compromised, a lot of folks will minimize it and say, ah, you know, my nose is a little stuffy. It's not that big of a deal. On the flip side, say uh, flip side, I'd say, yeah, your nose is a little stuffy. And there's 20,000 reasons every single day why that's a problem. Hmm. Uh, and then you dive deeper and you say, well, this, and, and even beyond just those 20,000 breaths, the ones that are happening when you're sleeping at night are beyond crucial. You know, all the literature, and it sounds like you've got a lot of, or a lot of info on this um, on your own, is that, you know, sleep is powerful, Sleep is, you know, that's, that's sort of, if you want to be a superhero, you better have superhero sleep, which is, you know, good, restful sleep. And if you want to be sort of a chump, you have the opposite. And, uh, those breaths when you're sleeping at night, if those are compromised, not only does that affect you, affect you in the moment that affects you throughout the day. And, you know, that's where, you know, back we started when I was talking about, you know, me wanting to be, be an ENT and the quality of life stuff, you know, what I've recognized here actually more recently is, is, is it's, it is quality of life, but it's, it's sort of, it's life itself. I mean, like what is more fundamental to life itself than breathing and proper breathing? There isn't anything, you know, like for instance, if you drop down and they call the, uh, the ambulance to come to get you, every emergency medical provider follows the ABCs, you know, airway, breathing, circulation in that order. And there's a reason that the A is first, the airway is the most important thing. If you don't have an airway, nothing else matters. And so to me, it's sort of like, you know, I think you can tell in the tone of my voice is that it's, it's, it's a, um, it's, 
it's there is nothing more important than um, you know. In my opinion, I'm biased, obviously, and, and and that's just who I am. But I'd say there's nothing more important than than what we're talking about, honestly, because it has it it can either make or break somebody's life and their quality of life. And what's more important than that? Yeah, I mean, before you eat or drink or sleep or have shelter, uh, you have to fucking breathe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it. I mean, that's, it. I mean, literally that's the, that's, it's like, there's sometimes you kind of like, and, and I do this, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, sort of introspective and, you know, you ponder sometimes. And, and I guess that's sort of what I'm saying is as I ponder, yeah, well, as you're pondering, if you do, you know, yoga or meditation or all those sorts of things, well, what, what's the fundamental there? What, what's the fundamental thing? It doesn't have to do with your body. It's, it's, it's your breath. You know, it's always, the breath and there's a reason for that if you and so the, all those things are, are kind of sort of to me you know dummy old me who's just sort of a nose doctor all of a sudden i'm kind of getting tapped in the shoulder by the world around me and saying boy you know it's it's really it, this is it's important that people understand the importance of this and, and the, the reality is that there are good solutions out there and so people need to understand that as well yeah, so let's let's uh, excellent segue, Doc. Uh, let, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the process for diagnosing, figuring out what the hell is going on. Is it sure. a, is it a sleep study? Are you going to lay somebody back and peek up their nose? Like, walk us through. Because again, I'm just going to uh, sort of reiterate the importance of this. Like, so many of us have problems. Yeah. So, so many of our spouses and people that we love are, are not sleeping well and not getting deep sleep every yep. single night. My father has been sleeping with a CPAP machine for a very long time. Yep. Uh, my brother, I know has sleep apnea. I, I snore a bit and yeah. I've been using one of those and I'm going to get your opinion on this. Yep. This is, this is a long question, but I'll <laughs> circle back around to it. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, I use, uh, nose strips, uh, you know, yeah. those stickers that sort of widen your nose airway, sure. um, every night. But, um, first give me your opinion on that little device. And then uh -huh. please tell us the process of figuring out how to diagnose and treat, um, uh, sleep breathing issues. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. The, on the first hand, yeah, the, the breathing strips or those things, they're fine. There, there's, there's no downside there. What I would say is there's, there's only a slight upside there. And so if they're helpful, wonderful, that's a good thing. But if they're helpful, they're likely, um, just, you know, they're, they're making less than a millimeter of movement as far as, you know, getting, getting more space in there. Um, typically we can do simple things in the office that will gain, you know, multiples of that without having to use anything. But, but, but I would say definitively, um, is the, the, the reality with like a breathe right strip or those sorts of things is just sort of further pointing evidence to the fact that nasal breathing is important. And so if you have a tendency towards snoring, um, you, your best bet is to be breathing with your nose open, your mouth shut, that's how you want to be able to, to, to uh, breathe. If you have a tendency, tendency towards snoring and your mouth is dropping open, your snoring is going to be horrible. Um, you, you know, say in the worst case scenario, if somebody has a tendency towards snoring is, uh, basically breathing mouth open on your back, you know, especially if you had a couple of drinks, if you, if you drink alcohol, like you're going to be, uh, it's going to be a bad night for everybody. Uh, now flip that around nose open mouth shut off of your back. Okay, we we got a fighting chance there, and so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, like I, I, breathing strips are fine, but to me, generally, 
there's it's sort of a taken a half step forward where there's likely, you know, again, there, there are simple things we can do nowadays procedurally uh, that they generally make a, a mark, a market difference there. But now back to that first part of the question as far as, well, where do we begin? Um, you know, if somebody's got a breathing issue, snoring issue, sleep apnea issue, and it's all saying the same thing. Those are all breathing issues, basically. And so if somebody's coming in with those things, um, our first job is to listen and understand. So we're just literally let's let's un, let's listen to what you're telling us and and hear it on the flip side is I use this I, I, when I'm training our providers here. I talk about a concept of the unreliable narrator, and our patients are unreliable narrators. Meaning that if, if like I was saying earlier, is if all you've ever known is this compromised existence of breathing suboptimally, then I don't necessarily trust that you know what normal is. And so if you're telling me, so a lot of our patients, like I said, some some folks who have severe sleep apnea will tell us, but I don't really, I feel fine. I don't feel tired. I, you know, and I'd say, okay, I, I, I hear you, uh, but I'm going to use my eyes and ears and, and see what I'm seeing. And if we're seeing things, like if we're examining somebody and we're seeing that she's things are pretty tight in there, then we know kind of what to believe and what not to believe. But bottom line, first is listening and understanding. Yeah. And then we do need to look. We need to look and see what's going on. Again, if somebody's got snoring or sleep apnea, that's a throat issue. And so, you know, what better or where better than a, than a throat specialist to be looking at that? Um, now, again, if you follow the ball here, if you have snoring or sleep apnea, 100% of the time, you got a throat issue. Around roughly about 80 to 90% of the time, you also have an associated nose issue, but you may not know about that. So a lot of folks come in with snoring issue as their primary issue, which is coming from their throat, but it's our job to have a broader view and, and make sure we're evaluating the nose and, and not to get too much in, in too many details. But if we're doing our job right, it's seeing what's going on. Uh, understanding the anatomy that's probably creating that situation. And then, yes, if somebody has snoring or sleep apnea and we're concerned about, or, or snoring and they think they may have sleep apnea, then, and we're concerned about that, uh, that they might have sleep apnea, then we'll we'll typically do a sleep, we will do a sleep study. It's almost always a home sleep study nowadays, which is easy. Uh, I think some folks have heard of the oldest old studies, which are in a sleep lab, which still happen, but they usually don't need to happen. So that, you know, with technology as it's advanced, we have technology that allows you to go home with a device, sleep with it one night, you bring it back, we, you know, plug it in, we get the information. It tells us exactly what we need to know. It tells us if you're snoring, if you're, if you're stopping breathing, if you are stopping breathing, how many times, how severe oxygen levels, you know, all those sorts of things. And so taking that information in and then uh, getting a game plan together. It's nice to know that the technology has caught up for in-home stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what the sleep study is all about? Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So a sleep study conceptually is all that it's trying to do is monitor your breathing when you're sleeping at night. And so in a sleep lab, they have got to hook up, you know, it just how that's, this is how it was designed. Um, initially they got to hook monitors up to almost what it feels like every inch of your body to get that information. Um, and you're actually, you're measuring brain waves, you're as, uh, measuring respiration, you're, res you're measuring oxygenation. So you're, you're, the amount of oxygen in your blood, uh, all those things. But nowadays, there are a variety of different home sleep study devices. The one we use uh, is it looks like almost like a, a golf visor. Just sits or it kind of goes around your forehead, and there's a little piece that goes under your nose, and that's it. And and so it's pretty uh, inobtrusive, and you just you you sleep with it. And what it's it's monitoring uh, your breaths 
it, it, it is monitoring sort of those levels of sleep, the stages of sleep. So we, we need to see, you know, how, you know, how, what kind of uh, depth of sleep are you getting? Are you getting restful sleep or not? Um, you know, all those factors. And so there's multiple factors and parameters we're looking for, but, uh, but we need, um, we need that information. You know, we need the objective information to kind of understand what's actually happening and then putting action behind that once we do understand. Are you a fan of, uh, you know, like Fitbits and Apple watches to track sleep or is that not really your, not really your jam? Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. It, it doesn't, it, it, um, it, to me, it's additive information and, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't replace a sleep study as of yet. I, mean, I, I think my sense is, is, you know, I'm not a, a um, you know, engineer or anything like that, but I, I think technology in the very near future, th- those sorts of technologies will push the ball forward so that, um, you know, maybe they will be, maybe they, maybe, uh, an Apple watch and Fitbit will be, uh, as good as a home sleep study, uh, is currently, I would, I think it, it, it should be, if those, if those engineers are doing their jobs, then they should be able to, to get some, you know, get that. But it's, it's, I think, you know, between that data is data, you know, prior to iPhones and smartwatches and all that stuff, we didn't have that. And so, yes, it's better to have that data. Now data in a vacuum is, you know, not necessarily helpful, but I think if somebody, you know, for instance, if, if we say we have a, a home sleep study on somebody, we understand what's going on. Say we're starting to move forward with uh, treatments uh, coming after those breathing issues. Um, it can absolutely be helpful for them to be monitoring, you know, what's happening um, night after night, you know, kind of a thing. Cause a sleep study is one night, maybe two nights. It's usually one night these days, but if you're monitoring your own sleep night after night, you can, you can start seeing some trends and, um, and, and that's helpful. So I, I think it's, it's good. I think that that data is, has been a, a really big benefit and help to what we're trying to do. So once we've determined that, yeah, yeah, Jimmy, you're, <laughs> you're dying yeah. t- 10,000 times a night. You, you <laughs> yeah. haven't, you haven't had, uh, you haven't had a REM sleep cycle in a decade and, yep. uh, we need to make some major, major changes so that you can, so that you don't get sick. Yep. Um, what are some of the approaches that you take to cor- to correct people. Sure, absolutely. I mean, really uh, first part of that equation is once we have that information is making sure that it's that it is presented in an understandable manner. So you I mean it, it's a lot of times I think I was kind of um, I guess I was I was schooling some of our practitioners yesterday about, you know, I think I think doctors tend to use a lot of doctor speak and and healthcare providers tend to use a lot of, you know, fancy speak and to me a sign of lack of knowledge of something is if somebody has to use a big, you know, $10,000 words to describe something to me, that means they don't really understand it. And, and that this is exactly what I said yesterday is if you understand something, if you truly understand something, you should be able to explain it uh, at a level that a second grader can, can pick up on. But anyway, I'd say assuming that we've been, we've communicated properly and, and that um, that person understands exactly what's going on. Then really at the end of the day, what we have at that point is we have then documented proof that we've got a throat situation. And like I said before, so that's, that's where that issue is coming from. But we also almost assuredly have a nose 
situation too. So this gets more specific to how we approach our patients. But our typical approach is once we have a sleep study that shows what's going on, um, we'll talk about the options there. But all of those options to treat the sleep apnea, if that's what somebody has, or snoring if they have that, uh, are impacted by a nose that's not working in a negative way and can get somebody off on the right foot if we get their nose working properly. So generally our approach here is, you know, identify the issue as far as the sleep part of things goes, get somebody's nose working properly. And I won't kind of beat this horse too much, but they're, they're simple office-based procedures, you know, not surgery typically where we can do, you know, a, a five or 15 minute procedure in the office, get somebody's nose on their side working for them. And then move on to the the snoring or sleep apnea treatment. So the the true the truth, if so, as far as snoring or sleep apnea, you've got really other than the nose. So assuming the nose is is either working or we get it working, and therefore it's out of our equation, you've got three options, maybe three and a half options uh, as far as treatments go. There's, and I'll just run through them, but there's a CPAP machine, which I think a lot of folks have heard about, uh, an oral appliance, which may, maybe some haven't, but it's basically an oral appliance is like a, um, it, it's basically a, a dental uh, appliance that somebody wears when they're sleeping at night to open up the back of the throat. And then we do have procedures that we can do in the back of the throat to either stiffen up the tissue back there or remove some of the blocking tissue back there. So if somebody has snoring or sleep apnea, um, those are the options. So a CPAP machine, what a CPAP machine is, is a machine that somebody somebody wears when they're sleeping at night, ideally through a nose that's open with the mouth that's shut, but sometimes some folks will need to use a full face mask. But what the machine is doing is CPAP is, is basically an acronym for continuous positive airway pressure. So it's pushing air into the back of the throat. That air is holding the back of the throat open. That's what it's doing. So it's, it's basically a, a, an airway stent for your, your breathing uh, in the back of the throat. So CPAP is one option. An appliance both keeps somebody's mouth shut and it also pulls your lower jaw forward. And by pulling your lower jaw forward, your tongue is attached to your lower jaw. So that, that opens up the back of your throat. Procedures literally can get the back of the throat more open. And then that, the half or the fourth thing I was kind of hinting at before is weight loss. So if somebody does have sleep apnea or somebody is snoring and they have extra pounds on, then dialing those pounds off can help the cause. Um, but sometimes that's um, easier said than done. So if somebody's got sleep apnea and they've got you know 30 extra pounds on them, they don't have much of a chance at all of losing that 30 pounds until their sleep apnea is treated properly, in my opinion. So sometimes we'll actually start a game plan where we're going to get the sleep apnea treated and we're going to kind of you know work with you or have you work with your primary care doc to get on a weight loss program so that if you get the weight off and your your sleep is and your breathing is now all of a sudden pretty okay, maybe we can get rid of the machine or other things. So it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like you, you, you can't sleep, so you're not going to be able to recover and exercise and have all your systems working properly in order to lose the weight. And if you can't lose, you can't lose the weight. It's not going to help your sleep. Oh sure, yeah. A, a lot of folks, um, they they sort of get caught in that cycle of not knowing what to do. And so for us, it's identifying the problem. And yeah, I mean, I. I I don't believe, I mean, I think, I think part of the issue with weight loss and weight gain, you kind of, whichever we want to go with it is, is, is this, this breathing and the sleep aspect that nobody really ever talks about. And so, you know, I think people focus on diet and exercise and that's great, but you could take the, you know, the best athlete and the best diet 
and you could throw it out the window if your sleep is not proper, you know, meaning that I, I guess I could, I could take your best athlete and I could turn them into, you know, a gradually over time, something massively suboptimal, um, just by impacting that person's sleep. And I, and I guess and I'm going to go on a tangent. This is definitely a tangent alert here. Yeah, go for uh, it. Man. Is that if you look at, um, NFL players, you know, these are the best athletes in our country. Uh, some of the best athletes in our countries, in our country, the, the, uh, likelihood for, for those guys to have sleep apnea is high because especially the linemen, because you're asking somebody to put on extra bulk and that bulk is going to impact their airway. And so you start looking at folks like Reggie White uh, from, you know, here, here in Wisconsin and, and, and you start looking and digging deep and, you know, there's a lot of talk about concussions and, you know, post, uh, athletic issues, uh, the likelihood, you know, so that, that NFL player, the, the likelihood for sleep apnea is high to begin with. And then once they stop playing, it's actually a ticking time bomb. And so, you know, meaning that, um, it's something where, and I think I've seen a lot more here recently is I think it's becoming part of their programs, especially with their linemen to start, um, to, 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 to start screening for sleep apnea in their athletes to keep their athletes, you know, tip top. Um, and you know, there's, they're starting to get it, um, that part of things. So I don't, that's, that's definitely a tangent, but I'd say it, it's all kind of interrelated, meaning that, you know, um, it's optimal performance absolutely requires optimal sleep and maybe somebody can get by suboptimally for a little bit, but they're not going to get by for very long that way. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair to say. And you can't have optimal performance without optimal breath either. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're one, in, they're one in the same. Yeah, you cannot. It's just literally, it just cannot. So, what did we miss? What, 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 what question did I not ask you that you think is really important for all of the work that you do? This is, this is your opportunity to jump onto your soapbox and, uh, and, sh and share critical information, like whether it's, whether it's breathing or sleeping or, or what, like what, what's, what's one thing that you haven't been able to mention yet that you should. Um, I think I was pretty well on my soapbox, <laughs> honestly. I, I mean, I, I feel like we covered a, a lot of good ground. Um, I, I feel like, um, I think, you know, really, I, it, it's just, I, to me, it's the understanding the importance of, of that breath and understanding the reality that a lot of folks, uh, are, have been given tools that aren't optimal and, there are ways to, to come after that. And so I think assuming that somebody, you know, I think I, I find this sad in both kids and adults is there are times where, you know, um, you know, especially kids will get sort of scolded or yelled at about, ah, you, your mouth breathing, like, you know, kind of what you were saying before, but your grandma is that, and, and, and then we look and lo, lo and behold, their nose is so jammed up that there's no way they could have been breathing through the nose to begin with. And mm. yet, um, yeah, it, it's just so, um, I guess don't, I guess here's my one soapbox sort of statement is, is don't assume that everything's in working order. Um, you know, I think if there's a question mark is, is, is it, it basically if somebody's wondering, oh, maybe do I have this nose issue? Do I have like sleep apnea? Is it, is it, it, maybe, maybe you don't, but I think if you're starting to wonder, mm, what if I do, do I, is this normal? you probably do. There's probably more happening than, than you know about. And it, it's probably, I mean, I'd say at the very least, 
it's worth getting an understanding and, and making sure that things are, you know, um, the way they need to be versus assuming that they, that they are. And um, in this society, I mean, just it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic and an interesting once you start kind of thinking about some of these these factors and sort of thinking about like the you know, deep thoughts like evolution for instance and like wow human evolution like, uh, you know it, it, it gets very deep very quickly but uh this is the first time i would say like since in the industrial age in the western in western society which is most of the world at this point um these airway issues are, are rampant and, and, and they aren't so much. So they aren't really, they don't really exist um, uh, to this extent in sort of the, the non-developed world. Not that you don't want to be developed. It, it starts to sort of uh, make you, make you wonder about uh, sort of where we're, we're heading uh, and, and what we need to do. And I'd say, well, what we need to do right now is to understand the impact of these issues, uh, put them front and center, don't shy away from them, um, get them out of our way, get our breathing proper and, you know, get on with the life that you're meant to have. And, and that's a, that, that's a, it's a fundamentally important and important thing to, to pay attention to. As I would guess, I mean, like I said, I don't think most people never think about these things ever. And yet it's the most fundamental thing that there is, uh, that, that there is period. And so you, you may have not, had the opportunity to think about it. But once you start thinking about it, if you start thinking that you may not be functioning op optimally, um, then it, it's absolutely worth getting, you know, getting it checked out and making sure that, that everything's in working order or not. Yeah. Powerful wisdom. Uh, before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank, uh, where can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do? Um, the simplest is just our website, adventnose.com, either way. So advent, either the K-N-O-W-S or the N-O-S-E.com. That just gets you to our website. Uh, we are about to launch, but we haven't launched yet. Uh, more of a, um, you know, I guess, whatever we want to call it, more of an ongoing social media presence uh, so that people can kind of um, have the ability to connect with us, you know, whether it's Twitter uh, or, um, you know, Facebook or, or other places. But, but currently just the website and there'll be more to come here in the very near future. Wonderful. So now, based on everything you know, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. Uh, based on everything you know, uh, can be existential or about breathing or about sleep or whatever. Um, based on what you know, please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Oh, everyone would know. The importance, I'm going to give you a cop-out answer a little bit, but I'd say the importance of breathing and the importance of the nose to allow that to happen. Wonderful. Dr. Candula, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. And that's that.